You're listening to Tuned with Alastair Atkin from the Atkin Guitars Workshop. I'm Alastair Atkin, and in this podcast, I'm going to chat to a few of the music industry people I've been lucky enough to meet over the last 25 years of being a guitar maker. Amongst them are musicians, songwriters, composers, and fellow guitar makers. Some of them you'll have heard of, and some of them you might not. This week, I'm talking to Toby Pittman. Guitarist, sound designer and programmer. Toby's enjoyed a 25-year career in the business and tells us about his work on the soundtracks of the Bond movies and the new Elton John film. Here it is. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Toby. How are you getting on? I am good, thank you, Alistair. Very good. Yeah. How are you? Oh, yeah. Not too bad. It's uh, another crazy time going on here but um hopefully things are moving in the right direction yeah can you all get into the workshop then yeah yeah we're we're uh we've got quite we've got quite a big workshop there's about four thousand square feet so uh we can socially distance quite a lot and uh you know touch wood it's all going all right at the moment Um, yeah it looks like you're sitting in a room in air studios in in london I am sitting in a room in Air Studios in London. I'm the only one sitting in a room in Air Studios, probably. Really? Well, I, I'm the only one coming in at the moment. Okay. Um, How many people are normally there? Well, I mean, actually, well, downstairs, there's a film going on, actually, at the moment. But mm. I'm, we're up in the residential part here. Right. Um, so there's, like, six, six rooms. I guess this was the residential area of the studio where people used to come and stay back in the day when you had residential studios. You know. Okay, yeah. But I'm the only one coming in. Um, so, but downstairs, yeah, they've got a film going. I can't remember what it is now, but okay. there's, there's orchestra in. You know. Really? And so yeah. how's that working? They're, are they all obviously having to socially distance somehow? And It's like military. Is it? Militarily run. Yeah, you know, yeah. so everybody's spaced out. Um, you know, they've got medics on site. There's like it's properly. Wow. wow. But I think actually the media, you know, film and TV, and recording studios are one of the one things that are exempt. Right. From. Yeah. From stuff. Well, if we run out of Netflix, God knows what's going to happen. This is that. This is the. Uh, you know. This is the problem. <laughs> And at the moment, there is a problem that nothing's being filmed. Yeah. Because they, there's been a quite a gap where nothing is being shot or not as much as being shot. So there might come a point where they, they run out of stuff wow. to do. But can you give us, uh, anyone who's listening, tell us your a description of what your job entails. And I mean, looking at your biography on your website... It looks like you've really have done so much, and you've worn so many hats over the years. But you started out in in LA at the um, Guitar Institute, by the looks of things. Yes, um, that was early nineties, was it? Uh, that was eighty nine. Okay, and I was seventeen, and my guitar teacher sort of threatened to kill my dad if he didn't send me to the Guitar ah. Institute. I think that's how it kind of went. Wow. Because um, I was taking lessons with this guy, Mick Hutchison, in Eastbourne. He's a great player, but I think he'd run out of things to teach me because I was a bit like a sponge as far as guitar playing goes. 
Uh, and my dad didn't want to send me there. I was 17. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it's like there's no way on earth you're going to America to go and study guitar. What the hell are you thinking about? You know, like become a and dentist or something <laughs> like that. You know? And you were well up for it, were you? Oh, man, it was the only thing. I mean, since I was nine years old, uh, my, my whole mind was just singular. I want to be a guitar player. I'd heard Albert Lee or something like that on the radio. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, what is that? Yeah. Uh, that's what I'm doing from now on, you know. And I managed to borrow a guitar and started learning. And uh, yeah, so I was 17 and went to LA on my own mm -hmm. on a plane. Oh, you know, that's uh, that's a big thing to do at that age, isn't it? Was, it? it was it was massive. You know, I, I had no idea what I was going to do when I got off the plane. <laughs> and um, I was sitting next to some hippie guy on the airplane who was like, "Oh yeah, man, we'll give you a lift." Uh Right. And I was like, okay, great, that's great. And then we stopped somewhere, and I'm like, what have we stopped for? He's going, I'm just going to go and steal my grandmother's quaaludes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was like, okay, here we go. This welcome is, to uh, LA. Yeah. Welcome to LA, yeah. So um, that was that. Oh, geez. So you had room and lodgings all sorted? or uh, you must yeah. Have been a, yeah. Yeah, I was at the, um, I think the Biltmore, I think on North Orange Drive, just behind Man's Chinese Theatre, you know. All right, okay. I've, I don't know LA very well. I've been there a couple of times, but um, every so often I, I meet people who've done what you've done, and uh, it does sound like one of the best places to go and learn guitar if you if you if that's what you the way you want to do it. Um, yeah, well, it was it was at the height of shred guitar, <laughs> yeah. which is where I was at at that time, you know. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's great players there. Scott Henderson was there, mm -hmm. Jennifer Batten. I think the first seminar we had was Greg Howe, and to me that was like, whoa, yeah. you know, because I was a massive Greg Howe fan, like Shrapnel Records and all that. Yeah, yeah. So it was, a, yeah, it was a really, eye, a real eye opener, you know. So, so how long did you spend there then? That was for a year. Okay. I, now I look back on it, I, I probably would have benefited from being more mature. <laughs> you know, I'd studied, I studied hard, mm -hmm. you know, but um, I also had a lot of fun as well, you know. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think probably all of us could say that about ourselves at that age, though, can we? Well, there <laughs> you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the benefit of hindsight and all that. So what was your ambition at that point? Was So you were going to spend a year there. Did you think you might well, do like, more? I thought I, was, I thought I was going to be Steve Vai or something like that. <laughs> you know, I thought I was going to be a rock star. <laughs> yeah. But soon came to realise that that probably wasn't going to happen. So um, I didn't have any plan, really. I, you know... Was I going to join a band? In fact, the first job I got was transcribing for a music company who were local to me in Sussex. And they did, like, you know, those play-along books. It's like Led, Led Zeppelin, Gary Moore. This was, you know, 1990, I guess. So no internet. And I was starting to do some sessions. There was a guy my dad knew, actually. It was one of his... Pa my dad's a dentist, that's why I said he wanted me to be right. a dentist. But one of his patients was a producer that did library music. Okay. So my first sessions were doing library, you know, rock guitar library music stuff. And then I think it just came to the realisation that he had to move to London, mm -hmm. really, and sort of try and get involved in the scene in London. With with that in mind, did you have friends who were playing up, up in town and you, and you sort of formed bands or...? Yeah, a lot of people I knew had moved to London who were doing what I was doing, you know, and I was playing in a few bands up here, you know, like nothing yeah. nothing major, you know. I, I don't think I was all that um, uh, well-rounded at the time. I kind of was a bit headstrong in doing what I wanted to do, and I, I was still doing the rock thing, and 
the bottom had fallen out of that. Mm-hmm. And I, so I knew I had to kind of diversify. And I started getting a bit more serious about country chops and, you know, just being a bit more diverse as a player. Yeah. Um, and I'd got a gig through some guy I worked with at the 12 Bar Club. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was the handyman at the 12 Bar Club at this point, so okay. I'd fix shit, you know, I'd fix chairs and, yeah, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And, right. <laughs> um, but loads of people went through the 12 oh, Bar. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. There was a constant flow of, that if, a, if a band was coming through from either out of town, a lot of American acts might do a small sort of gig yeah. there, mightn't they, before they started a tour. So it was a it was a really happening yeah it was place, it was it? absolutely brilliant um, so I was kind of doing that and I'd met a producer there and he was doing uh, an album with Clyde Stubblefield he was James Brown's drummer oh wow wow you know the funky drummer the most sampled drummer yeah. in history yeah. and he is was he the like, guy they want... call the hitmaker no is that's that... Bernard Purdy oh right okay yeah, yeah, yeah. you gone done it you gone hide the hitmaker yeah yeah that guy yeah. so I got the gig with Clyde Stubblefield to make an album with him and you know do a tour or whatever I'd, I'd never heard of Club, Clyde Stubblefield at this point mm-hmm. um, and that was my first foray into funk music so right. you're doing your first funk gig and it's with the drummer from James Brown baptism of fire it certainly was but <laughs> yeah. he was I, so I was like what do you want me to play then and he just goes oh just go you know dang on beat one <laughs> yeah and I was like okay and He's like, no, just do that. And I was like, all oh, right, okay. But then I kind of, re- you know, you, it dawns on you that you're part of a puzzle. Yeah. And, you know, you are not the most important thing in the band. And you're there as a team player. And you have to leave room for the brass to do that bit. And that. Absolutely. Which is a great lesson, isn't it? Just to yeah. sort of be able to sit in amongst it and... You know, if that's all you do, it's perfect. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, it, and it was a real, it was a good learning experience, you know. And it kind mm. of sets you up for sessions, and you know, to just be, you know, a team player as a musician, you know, and that's what that's what being a session musician is all about, or being yeah. a programmer, or being in the mm-hmm. studio with people. You know what I mean? It's like you're part of a team. Did you did you sort of think at that point, uh, you know, actually session? music or session guitarist is a perfect job for me or did you think I'll do this for a bit and get in a band or what how are you well I mean it was quite hard for me to find like work I knew a lot of people who were you know within the you know the big kind of touring bands and you know they were playing with big boy bands or whatever at the time and that never really appealed to me I guess Mm -hmm. but what did appeal to me was all this crap you know, technology and recording. And I went and did a course in MIDI programming and Mm -hmm. SSL engineering. And I think that was the turning point for me because I was finding it hard to get work as a guitarist, not because I wasn't a good guitar player, but I just didn't know where to look. Yeah, I think going into the, the whole programming route was another way in for me to do guitar playing as well. Yeah, yeah. I've always been a, um, you know, thought that it's good to have quite a lot of bows or fingers in pies mm-hmm. because the bottom's going to, you know, if the bottom falls out of something, you can go and do something else. Absolutely. And, I mean, quite a lot of musicians have that sort of thing, don't they? And, and they're sort of... Yeah. ..can morph into whatever sort of area they need to. But it strikes me that, um, you know, I, I see you sitting there in Air Studios, which which is 
perhaps I don't know is it perhaps one of the last great studios in London uh, uh, well it's here Abbey Road and um, what's um, Nofla's one oh oh yeah can't remember it's yeah totally my brain's lost it yeah but there's you know if there's only two places you can pack an orchestra into really and that's really? Air and Abbey Road right okay you know? That's amazing, or isn't it? Shabby road, as we like to call them. <laughs> oh, gee, that's uh, yeah. It's good to have a little rivalry, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah we love, we love, we love them. So you've got a room in in Air Studios, and do you you get called out for if something's going on? Someone will say, "Hey, Toby, can you can we book you for this job?" Is that how does it work when you... some sometimes? I mean, I built up quite a lot of clients over the last sort of 20 years or so, mm-hmm. just private clients, you know. Um, so I tend to work out of this room here for said clients. I mean, I've got next door is Ben Foster and Nick Foster who do a lot of TV drama, mm-hmm. a lot of TV work. Yeah. Downstairs is David Arnold, obviously, yeah. Bond. Bond, yeah. You know, all yeah. that sort of stuff. Next door, Simon Franklin, who was involved... I mean, he's Avatar, worked with everyone. Sit, Avatar, right. Titanic. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, and has worked with Madonna, Michael Jackson, Barbara Streisand, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> big um, guns, yeah. Yes, big guns, yeah. yeah. So they're always working on stuff, and I am right in the middle of that. Yeah, yeah. So the door is, I've got two doors here, and one of those doors is normally opening at some point. Right, yeah. So I work for these guys a lot as well, mm-hmm. and, we, you know, we all do work together, so... So that's, that's got to be comes from. how many people? I mean, that's got to be quite rare now that there's this little hive of industry like that. And Air Studios will be working on Hollywood movies, yeah. Yeah, it's the biggest you can get. And what brings like the Hollywood um, guys to the UK rather than recording in the states or anywhere else? It's the musicians, the musicianship, Brilliant. the 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 technical aspect of it. You got the best engineers here. The best tech guys, the best equipment, the best players. The that's why you come here. So really, is that that we are the the world leaders on on that? Well, I think so. You know, I mean, obviously, everywhere's got great players, but you know, there's very you know, there's great players in America as well. You know, but they are particularly good here. You can put anything in front of the players here, and it's like it's done in the run through. Wow. That's you know. amazing, isn't it? So should we, yeah. Do you want to do another take? It's like, no. <laughs> you know, get <laughs> one for safety go, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, right, you know, yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's jaw-dropping when you're in the room with them, you know. So a full orchestra, how many people are likely to be in a full orchestra playing? Well, uh, if it's full, it's between like 60 or 70 or something like that. Is it? Wow. You know. If there's something going on, can you walk in there and check it out? And Not, mid, not mid-take. No, but, but yeah, like, you can if you're do, in... Yeah. If you're in, yeah. you can sit in, and uh, that yeah. must be pretty amazing to. to I mean, hear. we did bond in the hall downstairs, and I went in and sat in the room with the uh, orchestra when they did uh, the theme. Uh, and it's like it's like being at a Metallica concert, right? You know, it's it's like a, you know a rock experience. You know, it's yeah, really loud and it's amazing. You know, shivers down the backbone. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Obviously, that latest Bond film uh, that that keeps getting pushed back. Pushed back, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of the soundtrack was made in Air Studios, was it? Yeah, I think it. I, I can't divulge too much of the 
okay. goings on with that on air. Yeah. But, um, yeah. It was done. I mean, it was done downstairs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Hans is here all the time. Hans Zimmer is. Wow. He's a regular here. It's weird because most people think of him as the big composer, but he was actually living around, working around here years ago before he got big. So he knows all the players, and he knows they all go way back together. Right. Oh, isn't that great? I mean, he is a legend, really, isn't he? Now, and yeah. uh, some of the some of the stuff he's he's produced. Um, I've noticed every so often I'll follow your Instagram, and you're working on a, a different soundtrack. What is your actual job when you're working on those? Um, Just making tea, mate. That's, that's what I do. <laughs> Actually, I, I could see like several cups of tea, empty cups of tea behind you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I need to wash them up. Uh, <laughs> So I'm a I'm a programmer, like a sound designer, and obviously a guitar player. But my job is basically to so like I'm like if David has a we're doing like say we did go we did that show Good Omens, right? So we were working on that for six months. So David is downstairs. He will write a cue, will sketch out a cue to picture mm-hmm. um, the way he wants it to go. He will then send that. So we work in logic. He yeah. will then send that logic project to me. Okay. And then I will um, flesh out the sound design. And so I'm designing the synth sounds for it and the, right. you know, the textures, adding guitars, and then we're building it up up here yeah. until it's ready to go downstairs for the orchestra. And they'll play along to that. So we will. We work with a, a Ben Foster, who's an arranger. He will do a MIDI mock-up of strings, right? And then that will get scored, okay. copied, written down, yeah. And then we will replace that with the orchestra downstairs. So my, my job is to is to take the composer's idea um, and sort of flesh it out and make it production ready, right? right. So that's adding, you know, like. We do lots of sampling stuff where we're, um, you know, recording weird instruments or hitting stuff and, you know, and I'll make sampler instruments out of that and a library of sounds for the show. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of my job. You know, a lot of it will be like maybe that stuff and doing weird stuff with guitars. You know, there's always like odd guitar nonsense going on, you know. I mean, it sounds to me like a dream job. It's pretty it, good fun because it's never yeah. the same twice, is it? It's just no. like, what are we doing today? And it, you, it is you're really at the the cold face of creativity, aren't you? Yeah. Um, how much of what you you record or, or put down ends up on the final score? Well, sort of all of it, really. R- really? Okay. You know, so yeah. You're, okay, that's amazing. Yeah, we're not we're not looking to replace a lot because that all takes time, and mm-hmm. with this sort of stuff. It's just going so fast. Yeah. You know, you might do something and then the picture might change. And then you've got, a, you've got to deal with the edits and you've got to deal with the feedback from the, from the clients, the production company. So it's all moving very fast and you have to get that out the door for the dub. Yeah. So there's a deadline on it and that means long hours. And That was what I was going to ask next because I, I would imagine... Like when this stuff's going on, it's no one's going home. <laughs> it's no. like, hang on, this has just got to happen. Yeah, you go home when it's done. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, when you're going downstairs to record, everything has to be 
perfect. That's why that's the last thing to be done. That's why the music is always the last thing to be done because, Mm -hmm. you know, the picture's locked then. Nothing is going to change. But also Mm -hmm. you have to figure out that it's costing you £100 a minute to do it. And, you know, if, if you cock something up, it's a problem. We're not at home to Mr. Cockup, basically, isn't no, it? And, no, uh, yes. yeah. So and I, presumably that does happen sometimes, though. And uh, Very, very, very rarely. Really? In fact, yeah. yeah. And everything's on a budget, isn't it? And, uh, and being costed, and, and so it's just got yes. to run seamlessly, I guess, hasn't it? Yeah. You know, and sometimes we've only got the budget to sort of get a few players in. Like, so Good Omens was... It was a string section we had, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, not a large string section, but that was the budget. That's all we, what we had to do it. You know, yeah. And that will get blended with MIDI stuff, and but mm-hmm. you need the real players to to bring the life to it. You know, and when you hear them do it, you're like, oh my god, that's, that's why. Wicked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's just magical, isn't it? When you when you hear it actually working. And, yeah. Uh, so um, last time we spoke, you'd been working on the Elton John movie, I think. Yeah. Is that is that correct? Yeah. And that soundtrack and the way that that film works i wasn't expecting that film to be anything like the film it actually was and it was incredibly complicated the way it was it was a musical really wasn't it yeah the detail in that score how how long does something like that take to put together and and what what do you see first okay well that is all down to giles martin Mm -hmm. who is george martin's son i'm in giles's old room at the moment so i've known giles for Absolute years, he's a legend. Just like couldn't meet anybody nice. He's brilliant. And he phoned up one day and he said, "We're doing the Elton John movie." Um, like you, you know, that's what it was. Uh, we need to get get going on it. I was like, "What are we doing?" He said, oh, "I have no idea." You know, but it took. I was on it for twenty months. That film. So it started with us. I the first job I had that he asked me to do was to remake all the records. <laughs> So I had to learn all the songs, mimic all the parts, blah, 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 blah. What a fun... Did you enjoy that? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I've done a lot of that. I've done a lot of that sort of stuff. We, You know, working on the Olympics. I used to do Fame Academy, all the music for that. Right, okay, okay. All that nonsense. Yeah. Um, So take down the music. So then we've got it in form. We can edit Mm -hmm. it. So then they had a choreographer that we worked with, with the music, so he could choreograph to the music. No, did we start doing that? No, no, I'll tell you what I did. I did all the takedowns, and then it went away for six months. Right. We didn't hear anything for six months. Okay, yeah. And then we got a call, and it was like, we're shooting in two weeks. <laughs> have you done the music yet? And we're like, what do you mean have we done the music? <laughs> you know, so then we sort of thought, okay, we better get this together. But the choreographer was doing the dance routines and all that yeah. sort of stuff, so we had to work with him to extend the music. Mm-hmm. Put in different sections of stuff. It was it was quite complicated. It looks so seamless for people, doesn't it? And they don't imagine that all this stuff goes on. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the, for the first, yeah, first eighteen months, it was all just done here in this room. Yeah, with me and Giles sitting there, we're trying to work out stuff. Ben was doing orchestrations on some songs, and then they shot it, and then there was a lot of editing. They were working with the edits. The songs were, you know, you get the next day something would come through. Yeah, we've cut 18 bars right. out of that song. Or, no, it wouldn't be bars, though. It would be we've cut 
62 and a half seconds out oh. of that yeah. song, which then that means you have to re-stretch the music to fit the new, you know, yeah. it's not just, yeah. it's not on bars, you know, no. so no. then things have to become seven, eight, nine, eight, six, eight with a tempo ramp going down to <laughs> hit the mark. And that's the way you're kind of doing it, you know. Um, and then once it was all locked and everything, it went downstairs for proper recording with with bands and you know musicians and you know Jars was was in charge of all that and mm-hmm. Jars is great at managing bonkers projects. So I'm on another project with him at the moment, which is equally as bonkers. Really? That, yeah, that I can't. I can't say what it is. Okay. Well, I, I mean, so let me just. Uh, when you say it's been locked, that basically means that you can watch that movie with the soundtrack, and it's happening all the way through, and nothing is going to be changed at that. Point. No. Yeah. Exactly. So you're now ready to put all that other stuff on top of that. And yeah. it can't it can't go anywhere. But occasionally, yeah. does someone go? Do you know what, lads? We've got to chuck this out now. No, you can't. No, once it's locked, right. you can't sort of yeah. touch it. But I mean, the 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 songs on that went through radical changes. There was one version of Benny and the Jets that I worked on for about six months. It was about <laughs> seven minutes long. Yeah, it was this huge like dance club scene thing. It was all very racy, and yeah. they had to cut it for certificate reasons okay yeah but i'd done this piece of music that was like this open you know it was like epic dance thing uh and it ended up being 10 seconds long so all that work so uh, as it went along it got shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and then it was about 10 seconds so how do you take that in yourself? Are you, you just like don't even think about it? You're just like, well, that's not happening. Just, then move on. Yeah, yeah. And, move and on. there is no space for your ego in this movie, is there? Well, no, because um, you're not paid to do. You're that. not. You know, you're not the man. Not, yeah, no. So I'm, what I'm wondering is how much more racy than what actually appeared in that movie was. It was. Uh, it was it, pretty racy that movie, wasn't it? It was. It was. It started out <laughs> being a very different film than it ended up being. Right. From a storyline point of yeah, view, yeah, I think it was a, it was a lot darker and a lot, you know, it was definitely a lot more adult as I think. Yeah, that's the movie business. Do you know what I mean? Like edits yeah. change on every film, you know, and a film can change just by putting something that was at the end at the beginning or something that was at the beginning at the end. Do you know what I yeah. mean? It's like yeah. you can it's you can do a lot with editing, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes that's just the way it's got to be. So when when the the I have these images of of the the movie being played on a big screen while people are are playing. Does that happen at all or uh, is... not so much? You know, we have it up on the monitors, and I think they have a you know they have it on a TV in the room. Right. Um, okay. But you know this this is more for hitting cues and yeah that that movie from from a musical point of view was was pretty huge and most movies don't have that much sort of uh, song in it as mu- as as much would you say they've got more sort of a, a, a classic soundtrack um, yeah i mean and, the, the, i think that the idea behind that film was that it was it was a story woven you know mm-hmm. the songs were woven into the story and they're telling a story yeah. you know um, yeah. as they go which is a, a weird Thing to do it's like the rocky horror picture show or something like yeah, that you know yeah, it's a yeah. similar type of thing 
Yeah. You know, yeah. the actors are, are singing the songs and they're, you know, part of the song and the story, you know. So was Elton John coming in to hear any of that or did he keep away from it? He came in a couple of times. Yeah. We, okay. I don't think we, 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 we weren't there at the time. No. I was, no. I was doing that and Good Omens at the same time. So it, it was a bit, bit of an, yeah, it was a bit mental for me. So, um, Do, and and typically, how many projects might you have on the go at any one time yourself? Well, it's like one or two, depends really. I'm trying to be a bit more sensible about it now, mm-hmm. and just take on one thing at a time because it's very easy. Everybody knows this who's self-employed is you will. Yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. All yeah. of a sudden, you got nine jobs and the deadlines are all on the same day, and you're having a nervous breakdown. You know, yeah. So, I try and keep it to one. Do you have guys that you then employ uh, to do parts for you who are outside of air, or does it all happen not, in that building? Not me, no, because I'm quite self-contained and I can do pretty much everything I need to do by myself. Um, yeah. Ben would have; he has an assistant who will copy, you know, a copyist and a uh, for arranging purposes, you know. But yeah, most of the stuff I do, it's like, it's just I, I bosh it in and and it's done. Yeah, yeah. So that that original <laughs> sort of idea of being a guitarist has now sort of. Do you pick up a guitar every day or? or yeah, every uh, yeah. I mean, it was weird because like going back to what we were saying earlier, um, I'd got into programming and become a programmer. But through becoming a programmer, it was always like, oh, we need to get a guitar player. And I just go, I play guitar. So I, I'll, I'll just do the guitar as well. And so that's how you start getting more and more guitar work. I mean, I, I can remember that I worked for one producer who used a very well-known guitar, session guitar player. And I was programming all this stuff and then the guitar player would come in. And it took about three years of working for him to just go... You might as well do the guitar too, because yeah. <laughs> I was always going. I play guitar. Yeah, you I, you get to you know everybody knows I play guitar, so that yeah. comes with the package, you know. Some years ago, you uh, contacted me, and uh, people are listening. I, we made Toby a guitar and he called up and uh, said you'll never guess who who's just played that guitar and you guys were recording the the was it the first Bond film with um oh, what's his name Daniel Craig yeah that well that was um yeah Casino Royale in fact I'd been at air for about three years at that point and David Arnold who's downstairs mm-hmm. I'd never actually spoken to David Right. Like we'd never we'd never cross paths because he was always busy doing something and I was always locked in my room upstairs. Yeah. So I didn't really know David at that point. And somebody came upstairs and said, have you got a guitar? And I was like, they said, there's somebody downstairs playing guitar and we've given him all these, we've given, you know, he's got a Martin and a thing and he doesn't like it. Have you got something else we could try? I was like, I've got this guitar by this guy <laughs> called Alistair Atkin. <laughs> try that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And took it downstairs, and yeah, it was Chris Cornell, and wow. he played it on um, "You Know My Name." I mean, that was a 
a real sort of return to form in a way for the Bond movies, wasn't it? And yeah. It was really anticipated movie. And um, w- were you involved on that soundtrack uh, at that point? You weren't working with um, See, I wasn't with working David. with Dave at that point. So, right. But then the next, the first time I worked with David, I'd been teaching guitar for the IGF, International Guitar Foundation, at yeah. the Sage in Newcastle. Okay. I was on the train station waiting to come home. Yeah. And I got a call from an unknown number. And I picked it up. And he's like, Toby, it's David. Um, do you want to play guitar on James Bond? And I was like, <laughs> oh, really? So you played on Bond? Oh. Yeah. I was like, of course I want to play guitar on James Bond. <laughs> what are you talking about, man? <laughs> so you did, you, you did some of the soundtrack um, for... Which, that was the next movie. What was that one then? Uh, Quantum uh, of Solace. Right. Yeah. And yeah. do you want to know that a really strange fact? You have the same phone number as somebody who moved to America after we worked on that film. Right. Who did the who was the programmer on Quantum of Solace? How weird. Steve Hilton, your number comes up as <laughs> Steve Hilton and he moved to America 15 years ago. Steve Hilton. Well, let's hope we can find Steve and he can give me my number back. <laughs> yeah, look, it's it's got it's got the um the Atkins thing, but it's it says Steve Hilton. How weird is that? Eh? That's bizarre. Yeah. So um, the 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 Bond theme tune. Were you actually playing that? Ding, 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 ding. No, no, that's uh, Dave. <laughs> Dave. David wanted to do it. David always does that. I could imagine that people would fight. So over yeah, that. my my stuff is just. Yeah, score, score stuff. So like yeah. the big boat chase in that film, all the other little bits. But you know, you get to go down, 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 uh, and that's you know, that's, yeah. What else do you want? But I'd I took say, my mum to, I took my mum to see it. I was like, Mum, I'm playing guitar on James Bond. It's gonna be amazing. I couldn't hear anything. It's just all oh. machine guns. You know, it's like yeah. there's my big guitar part, and there's somebody going, <laughs> you know, oh, damn, the top of it, turn you know. it down. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, I mean that's a huge, huge thing to do. So yeah, when it's you, great fun. When you go to the cinema, are you? Can you watch films in the way that you could watch them when before you knew all about this? Do you still get lost yeah. in the film? Yeah. Oh yeah, I do. I mean, the the thing about film music is is if you don't notice it, it's doing its job. Yeah, I've heard that said. Yeah. You know, and it, that you you do actually come out of the film song and you're like, I can't remember any of the music, but then that's not necessarily a bad thing because it's it's taking you along for the ride and that's what film music is supposed to do you know score is supposed to do that mm-hmm. it supports the story you know it's when it's too literal and the score is trying to tell you something that the film isn't right they didn't have time to shoot you know what i mean that's yeah yeah when you get the problems you know and i guess you can see some of the the, the stuff that doesn't work better than anybody else can as well yeah, yeah i mean the, we, we we're all um up here we've got you know we're all having a go at everything all the time (laughs) (laughs) but you know it's it's a hard job and it's it's funny when you work for people who are really good at doing it because i've learned so much stuff that you know it it doesn't even come into my mind when i'm thinking about music Mm -hmm. and you work with somebody who knows how to tell a story with music and the way you know the way they think of subtext and the way they think of story and how they're telling that story it's you know it's quite humbling you know yeah when, yeah. when you're working with somebody and you're thinking why why did they do that then they explain to you why they did it and you're like god yeah i how did i not 
see that. You oh, know, how interesting. I, it, when you get into someone into a composer and you go and watch, you know, someone who, who makes the music for films, you can often spot who's done it, can't you? Yeah. If you've if you've sort of much like you'll you'll go, oh, I think that's Eric Clapton playing on that, and it is, you know, because you know his sound. And there's certain people, and, and um, I, I always can instantly hear when Randy Newman's anywhere near a, <laughs> you yeah. know, a soundtrack, and he's done lots, hasn't he? And his um, and his cousin, I think, is Thomas Newman. Yes. Who, yeah. Again, you can sort of hear their style. Do you have style-wise? Have you got certain um, composers that you adore that perhaps people need to check out? Um. I like, um, oh, I say I like him and I can't remember his bloody name now. <laughs> My brain's like a sieve. Oh, oh Paul Haslinger. Paul Haslinger. I've heard the name. What's, what's Yeah, his... he's, he was in Tangerine Dream. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and he just makes great electronic scores. I really like his stuff. I tend to like stuff that's more dark and brooding and electronic, you know. But, you know, I like David's, you know, David is a great writer and he, he's always coming up with good tune you know people who come up with good memorable tunes yeah that's what you're looking for you know i like who else do i like like johan johansson and people like that but it's you know it's all very moody and, and that's yeah. the sort of stuff i'm into making as well you know just right yeah growling kind of textures and all that sort of stuff i love doing that sort of stuff so do you ever get approached to do a, a soundtrack yourself like for for anything, uh, I've right? done a done a few. I see. I don't really call myself a composer. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, that's. I don't really think that's my job. Mm-hmm. Um, I did one for like a really, you know, it was a horror film, and I had <laughs> really? two weeks to do the whole thing. Two okay. weeks to do seventy minutes of music. Wow, that was wow. sixteen hour sixteen hour days yeah. every day. Yeah, that's that that's was, that crazy, killed. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, that killed me. But. I mean, was it, were you happy with the results? Yeah, I mean, it sounds all right. I don't know. Go on, what's the movie? What? Well, you look at it, it's probably on my IMDb, so just look up that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, that's like a deadline thing, you know. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're, we're, I want to get into a film festival in two weeks. And you're like, hold on a minute. You want music, yeah? <laughs> yeah, no, we need the music in two weeks. Okay, great. You right. Know. Here we go. Yeah. So I think I, I actually did that as the film was going. I just went, it was like an old, um, you know, when you see them playing a the piano at the, you know, uh, old yeah. talking, you know. Yeah, as you go. It's a lot of stress being in charge of a film. I think a lot of people don't realise that. It seems very romantic to say, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, a film composer. It's a lot of aggro. You know, yeah. it's it's hard work. You got to deal with, with, you know, the, the buck stops here kind of stuff. You know, and yeah, everyone breathing down your neck and uh, yeah. coming from every angle it must be uh, yeah, yeah, incredibly stressful. Yeah, it's not just about having loads of plugins and software and sitting in your room that's nicely lit with plants everywhere. <laughs> so you know, it's like people trying to kill you every day. I've, I've, what I find interesting, I'm, I'm looking at your room there, and for anyone who's listening, so Toby's got a um, a stack of kind of uh, what looks like racks, and and are those what, what are those boxes behind you? All sorts of mixy type things. That's that's um, <laughs> a, mo- a modular synth. Oh, is it right? Yeah. But this room that you're sitting in, it's, it doesn't look like a particularly big room. 
Um, no, it's 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 not really. Yeah. Uh, well, it's you know I've got a sofa over there, got quite a few racks of guitars and stuff, and pedals coming out of every orifice. <laughs> but um, what what I find interesting is that it you can create uh, or sort of some of the most major sort of sounds that everyone knows and hears every year in in the film industry is coming out of a room like this you know and uh, yeah and it's it's quite it's quite interesting to see that it starts in a place like that and it sort of creeps well, I mean, around it, the studio yeah you know like everything is done in the box yeah you know i think i think now things have come on so far i mean i remember when i started doing this and you had to have you know a rack of you know, star. You have racks of stuff and mm-hmm. keyboards everywhere, and you know, real amplifiers. Yeah, <laughs> that sort of stuff. Yeah. Thing is, though, you know, if we're on a, if we're racing through something, and then you need to do some guitar, you haven't got time to mic up amps and be like, oh, I think I might use the four one four on the. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just like unless it's acoustic guitar that has mm. to be mic'd up, it's. It's pretty much done in the box. Taking amps downstairs and micing them up in a room is a real luxury, you know. And we will, we do do that, mm-hmm. you know. But we only do that when we know what the parts are and we know what's got to be done. And it needs, it's a focal point of something. Um, if it's a background, background lick or something like that, or some little texture stuff, it's it's done in the box, yeah. you know. Yeah. And why wouldn't it? You can get some great sounds from yeah. software now. So, are you just a real gearhead? You're, are you sort of reading up your sound on sound constantly every uh, every month? Yeah, or? not so much nowadays. I've well, because I, I mean, you get that all from the internet. Yeah, now. yeah I used yeah. to buy sound on sound yeah. and and guitar player magazine yeah. and all that you know yeah. magazine to buy all the time. Uh, now I just yeah look up what's come out you know and, on the internet and and how often are you buying new gear and gadgets? Are you sort of constantly Constantly sort of on it, yeah, yeah. I've um, got my eye on about three guitars at the moment, <laughs> and and pedals. Yeah, I've got. Um, I've just bought a Microcosm um, uh, hologram electronics Microcosm. I'm waiting for that to come from America. Right. Yeah. 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 It's it's a never ending saga of, but then I've got a huge pile of boxes, sort of over here that is stuff I need to sell. Right, okay. Yeah. I mean, this is expensive. Yeah, yeah. It, this is not a good habit to have. Because <laughs> this, is, this is only some of it as well. I've got two other cases of stuff really? in the other room, you know, and it's does, not cheap. Does it leave the studio or you do pretty... Do you ever go on location to do stuff or is it... Yeah, do you or, know, I did a thing actually weirdly at Abbey Road where I processed an orchestra live through like a setup like that. Okay, and I'd be like mangling the sound of the orchestra through like modular synths and stuff like that. Wow. Which they then stemmed out onto about 10 tracks. So I had 10 feeds, audio feeds coming out of this. Yeah. Which went to tracks that they could then blend in when they wanted it, you know. So that's a live performance in itself, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Sort of, people might remember seeing Pete Townsend sort of doing similar things back in the day. Yeah. And, and, and recording those. Um, you, like won't get fooled again and Babber O'Reilly yeah. and that sort of style. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's got to be a lot of fun. And I, I can see. Yeah, why I, you... Well, actually, I was I was really crapping myself actually <laughs> because I'd never no I'd never done it before, and it was Michael Price who who said 
he's like, Toby, yeah, I want you to come and mangle the orchestra with your modular. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And I put the phone down. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> so I had to patch a, a sort of, you know, a bespoke patch in a case mm-hmm. of, like, effect sends and how... So I could manually send everything and doing with joysticks or, or you know... And, Crikey. It sounded really good, though. Yeah. I think it's called Eternal Beauty is the film. That Eternal Beauty, right. Okay, yeah. well, I'll have to check that out. Uh, Sally Phillips, I think, is, is in it. Right, right. And Michael's score is lovely as well. You know, Michael's who, a great guy. Who, Michael Price. Michael Price, yeah, I'm not, I'm not familiar Yeah, Michael with did um, Sherlock with David. Oh, right, okay. So, yeah, yeah. he's a great, great writer, great composer, you know. So you really are in this world where... It, it, how, how big is this industry in this country? I mean, in, in London, do you feel like you know everyone involved in the business or are there no, pockets no, that... No, I, I, know, I know people who are around here, you know. Yeah, but yeah. It, You know, the f- film industry in England brings in a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a very valuable business and it's something that should be protected, you know, and you have to protect... The artistry of the musicians, and I think it gets taken, or people take it for granted. But if you start closing down studios, and which is which is what has happened, yeah, you know, studios yeah. are disappearing. It's harder for the music to be made over here. And how safe uh, are, are studios like Air and um, and Abbey well, Road? Well, I mean, Air is fine, and Abbey Road is is obviously fine. You know, because they're fully booked all the time. I mean, you, know, you, but, you can't really Im- uh, imagine a world where Abbey Road wasn't fine, can you? But, I mean, I'm sure it, these places... I mean, when you go to Abbey Road, and I've only been there once, they're big places, aren't they? And they're multiple yeah. people. There's stuff going on everywhere, and there's canteen... Have you got a canteen there? Uh, in, yeah. Yeah, which, which, you know, it's a proper sort of big business, isn't it? And, yeah. uh, and they, they obviously costly to run but that's um that's so sad that there's there's so few now uh well it's weird because angel studios which was in islington mm-hmm. was the kind of runoff for air and abbey road like if you couldn't get into either of those two you would go to angel mm-hmm. and that's just closed what literally recently or uh, yeah i think uh, it's been turned into flats oh geez yeah air was under um at one point somebody you know they would thinking of selling it and make it into flats but you can't do anything because it's listed fantastic that's so <laughs> that's great yeah. isn't it? it it'll be here for, you know it'll be here for a while yeah but yeah. you know there's yeah there's a lot of jobs that depend on the film industry in this country and i mean obviously we're having a lot of you know the whole brexit thing with musicians yeah and, you know yeah. there's a lot of musicians that are, are not having a good time at the moment you know oh, it's, it's really hard hit industry you know i'm luck i feel lucky because i've got loads of other things i can do mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. i can sit you know i can sort of ride it out you know and i've still got work coming in and but there's a lot of people who haven't been that lucky you know or so lucky when it does come back there's not going to be anywhere to play you know you've got venues closing and yeah, can't go to Europe to play. I mean, this, or you can, but it's going to cost you. Yeah, you know? I know. I, I, funnily enough, in a few of these podcasts, we've with the chats I've had with people, it's become very evident that you, you know this is a major concern for so many people. Um, yeah, and uh, it's a, it's a sad 
state of affairs that we find ourselves in. Um, and hopefully they'll, you know, find a way of making these things a little bit easier. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's really sad. I mean, you just think about what the West End and... I mean, that's huge, isn't it? It's, I mean, yeah. lots of people, you, you'll hear stories, won't you, of people just, they're, they're taking up different jobs now and uh, whether they'll get back again, I don't know. Yeah, I was talking to um, one of the session musicians downstairs uh, the other day and he said that everyone he knows is driving a van. Wow. You know, just delivering stuff. Yeah. And it's only, it's only by like being diverse and diversifying and that I can, I can sort of come through the other side of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, well, all power to you. Hey, uh, um, something that I really uh, about Air Studios that I remember so vividly on so many records that I bought was the Montserrat Studio. Yeah, now, do, when did that um, get destroyed? I mean, it was was it in in a? Well, I, I think it was in the late eighties. Was it the it? late eighties? Was it okay? Because this was built in ninety one, right? And I think he built this. I can't remember now. I, I remember because Giles has talked about that before because Giles used to be out there. Really? And he said that he can remember standing at the bottom of the volcano when it went off. Oh, it was a volcano, wasn't it? Oh, Well, geez. the first one was a volcano. Right, right. And then there was a hurricane. Okay. Which kind of finished it off. Oh. I think there was a quite a funny story, well, I say funny, because the town was buried under um, lava, basically, mm-hmm. like a proper distance of lava. Sort you know, Pompeii style. Yeah. yeah. And um, they said that they caught some guys who'd robbed the bank. They dug down through the lava into the bank <laughs> and stolen, um, and they had these blocks of money, but it had the Montserrat seal on it. <laughs> and that's how they got caught. Right. <laughs> was because the, the packages had the Montserrat bank yeah. seal on it yeah and they dug down through the lava into the bank insane oh my lord yeah it got it got trashed i think the hurricane sort of was the was the you know the nail in the coffin for yeah oh, that would have been lovely what but a, it's weird because uh, some of the engineers who are still here um used to work there right you know they were all there doing the police and yeah. all that stuff you know rupert Coulson, who's an engineer here, he was he was working there. He's got all the stories of. Uh, I bet. I know, bet that would be a, interesting. Yeah, I mean, did they used to stay out there for sort of were they yeah. f- like for years? Would be yeah, working yeah. in the you studio. Go out for an ex- yeah, you'd go out for an extended sort of period of time, work there, and then come back. Because oh. I think at the time this this studio was actually at Oxford Street. Yeah, yeah. So air was at Oxford Street. Mm-hmm. And George yeah. George Martin started there, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It stands for Associated Independent Recording. Okay. So yeah, he started it, and um, I think he sold it to Chrysalis. I was up here once when this was Giles's room, and I was waiting for Giles to come back, and George just walked in. Wow. And he's like, "Is Giles, Giles here?" And I was like, "No, I know he's. I'm just waiting for him." Yeah. And I said, you're welcome to wait. And he just sat in, we just sat in here together and talked about gardening. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, <laughs> hey, so so you can't see any end to your work now, can you? It must just be <laughs> like a long running, you can, you can, you've got project after project sort of coming your way. Yeah, well, I'm hoping that yeah. that's, the, that's yeah. the case. Um, yeah, I've got 
two things coming up with Giles. And there was a, like a bunch of films that were supposed to happen before lockdown mm-hmm. that were in editing, but then they couldn't, you know, that all had to stop. Yeah. So yeah. I think they're just coming back now. Okay. Um, these are out of the UK films. Mm-hmm. Um, ones with Simon Franklin. So yeah, there'll be there'll be films coming in, and you know, every day is a a phone call. You know, it could the phone could ring. So yeah, yeah, it's it's freelance life. You're sitting there waiting for the phone to go, and uh, yeah, absolutely. I I I think it's a it's certainly been really fun to talk about this, and and it's something that's always excited me. I being someone who, who I loved going into recording studios and being in that environment and somehow the the live sort of angle you you can live without it if you've got a really nice thing going on like you have I'm, uh, do you play live now much at all or not now do you know what I haven't played live I think the last time I played live was at I played at George Martin's memorial service right. I was in the band at the memorial service you know yeah. that was the last time I really? played live is it something you miss or uh... I do I do miss it yeah I do mm-hmm. um and you know guitar I go through sort of um I go through phases with guitar like a few months ago I wasn't playing guitar at all yeah but now I'm every day in front you know like if I'm at home in the evening I'm playing I'm pra- and I'm practicing actually at the moment you know I'm in practice mode yeah trying to get yeah. my technique back and Oh, fantastic. Um, you know, trying to go for some speed, you know, some yeah. fast licks and shit. Back uh, in the old days. You still might get uh, to that Steve Vai moment there. Do you Tell know me. what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I've got the I got the fan, the wind machine. It's all lined up. Um but you know, you get you, I've been playing guitar a long time. It's weird how you kind of fall in and out of love with it sometimes and oh, sometimes you're you're doing it all day and then you yeah. you don't want to look at it when you get home and no, I you can know. relate to that. I don't think I've really picked up the guitar for about five years now, and and it's sort of there's one at home, and I I get it out for about five minutes, and summary I just put it back in the case, and I'm hoping yeah. I'll get uh, one day I'll wake up and think I really need to play the guitar again, but um, I don't know. I haven't got a lot of reason to to play it at the moment, but when yeah. it, when it's your job to play, that's that's uh, a different thing, isn't it? And uh, yeah, sometimes you kind of I mean I can always pick up a guitar and play it mm-hmm. it's like it's not you know after you play for so long yeah. if a job comes in i have to play something i just pick the guitar up and i just play it yeah yeah but then there's stuff that i hear in my head that i can't do or i want to you know i want to pursue mm-hmm. that's when you start going into playing mode and you're like right i want to nail this yeah um so that's where i'm at at the moment so Expect some shred guitar on Instagram. I'll no, look for. No. <laughs> I'll tell you what you should do. It's that's so of, not me. Do one of those <laughs> those shredding videos. They they're fantastic. Yeah, that's more like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, hours of fun. I'm, yeah, I'm, in fact, I'm looking forward to um, getting the old um, guitar out. Actually. Oh yeah. As soon yeah. as that turns up, I'll be. Um... Oh well, that's super, Toby. It's been fantastic to talk to you, and thanks for giving us a little window into your world. It's certainly yeah. a world that I, I've always been fascinated by. and, and Mate, you're welcome here any time. I'll be up you tomorrow then. <laughs> yeah, okay, any time you want to come, yeah. Yeah, no, honestly, it's, it's, a, it's an exciting job you have there, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased it's going well for you. And, nice uh, one, thanks, Alistair. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and yourself as well. 
It's gone from strength. In fact, I'd, I'd really love to... I mean, one of the things I want to do at the moment is build a guitar. Is it? Hey, yeah, no, well. but maybe an ele- acoustic probably be too complicated for me. Ah, well, we'll see. That's an, that's an art form. But, um, it's funny. Yeah. We'll we have to do a, a job swap, won't we? <laughs> there although, you go, yeah. Although, although I won't have a clue <laughs> what any of those no, things are in your that. room. Yeah. yeah, both businesses go down yeah. the toilet immediately. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Toby, good luck, and uh, thanks, for, thanks for chatting to us. Take care, mate. Yeah, brilliant, Alice. Nice one. Bye. All right. Ta, cheers. So that was Toby Pittman hanging out in his room in Air Studios, giving us an insight into how the film industry works. If you've enjoyed the show, please go online and review it. A five-star review apparently really helps. You've been listening to Tuned with Alistair Atkin.